I'm Daniel Gowerluck, and this is On Earth. On Earth is brought to you by the Pacific Museum of Earth. In this podcast, we aim to show what it's like to be an Earth, ocean, or atmospheric scientist. There's a lot of diversity under that umbrella, and not all of our scientists wear lab coats. Today on Earth, we're talking to... Dorian Drollet. Dorian, uh, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for coming. Now, you're a seismologist. Uh, what is that? What is a seismologist? A seismologist is someone who study the earth by using earthquakes. I'll just say briefly. <laughs> now, I'm curious, is it just earthquakes or do you do like all tectonic movements? Yes, we do like tectonic movement. We now there are new fields that even use like fiber optic cable. Oh wow. To get information from the earth from that. Or like also any kind of kind of vibration can be used. Sometimes even train oh, vibration cool. can be used. Just last week I was asked about um future projections for the configuration of Earth. And um I was talking about the scientists who made these projections and I said, uh, tectonicists. And I realized, I don't think that's a real type of science. <laughs> uh, but I, as soon as you said seismologist, I realized that you might be the, the scientist doing that. Yeah, we do study yeah, plate tectonics, how they move through the earth, how they are formed. We can get information about that too. Excellent. I've, I'm already learning things from you. Thank you. <laughs> Uh, now, in this podcast series, we're meeting people at various stages in their career. Uh, where are you at in your career? Right now, I'm a PhD student, so I'm still learning a lot <laughs> and doing some research. Wonderful. You've got that uh, fresh new seismologist smell to you. <laughs> <laughs> um, what were your other degrees in? So before coming to UBC... I did a bachelor degree in physics, and I was more specialized in quantum physics during that degree. Really? I, yes, I did three internships in quantum physics. Wow. <laughs> and then I moved to UBC, but in geophysics. Where did you do your internships? Uh, I did one at the University of Sydney in Australia. Oh, wow. One at uh, the CNRS, so the... Center of Research, Natural Research of France. Okay. In Grenoble and one in Sherbrooke in Quebec at my home university. Wonderful. Yeah, it was an amazing experience. I learned a lot. That sounds super fun. Yeah. So you were looking at the uh, the universe and, and things like that? No, I was doing quantum physics at different ways. So I did two uh, third theoretical quantum internships mm -hmm. and one more experimental where we were looking at like now we're changing field but like cubics uh yeah like quantum bits and yes i i don't want to go too much into detail no no worries <laughs> do you find that that physics background helps you with what you're doing right now I will not say the physics background helped me, but some of the skills that I learned during the internship helped me a lot. 
Mm-hmm. I learned a lot of com- computer computing science, like programming, and yeah, a lot of how to like when I don't understand something, what are the like the option where to look for information. Yeah, and also collaborating with different people from different places, also the language barrier. <laughs> yes. Those soft skills like uh, learning how to be a collaborator and uh, learning how to learn for yourself um, is often more important than the hard skills of learning a given computer language or a set of equations. Um, so yeah, that makes total sense. Yes, I do agree with you. <laughs> and it takes time also to improve them. Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's a rusty skill. If you don't do it uh, very long, then it gets more difficult. Why did you make the change? Why geophysics and seismology? Yeah, <laughs> that's a good question. So I really, really enjoy quantum physics. Uh, but it was fun and interesting. But at some point, I realized that I wanted something more concrete that I could see the impact around me because everything that I was doing during my internship were so specific and so small like you couldn't really see it (laughs) and yeah so I thought like geophysics like at least I could see the impact and then seismology I was like earthquakes are very I thought fun (laughs) (laughs) like feeling the earth vibrating and wanted to know more about it so then decided to apply and got picked. <laughs> Have you lived through an earthquake yet? One that you've noticed? <laughs> yeah, it's hard to say because where I come from, I live in a town that's called Asbestas. Oh. So it's in Quebec and it, we had a big mine. So mm-hmm. there are a lot of like explosion and stuff. So I, I felt a lot of ground shaking, but most of them were not earthquakes. And I don't know if I really felt an earthquake or not. Probably not, because <laughs> we don't have many in, our, in Quebec. <laughs> it's the, uh, the same kind of effect, I'm sure. Yeah, it's similar. That's really cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and why, why UBC? Why UBC? <laughs> because seismology is not a field that you can study everywhere. Mm-hmm. Like, you need to be in university where they have a art science department. Mm-hmm. And also, I, for my preference, I will. I wanted to stay in Canada, so the best place for me was obviously kind of UBC, where it's on the west coast of Canada, where we have a lot of earthquakes, and yeah, you have also a professor studying it full time. <laughs> that makes total sense, and I'm glad you're here. You've been a great uh, and very active member of the grad community. <laughs> Thank you. You've actually been on the the museums. Uh, Oversight Committee. Yes, for a brief period of time. <laughs> well, you were, you were always a welcome voice. <laughs> um, what are you working on right now? Right now, if I do it in the most like simple way, because there are always yes, please do. <laughs> so many details coming around. So I... So let's start by the beginning. When you have an earthquake, it occurs on a fault. And... Usually those faults are kind of plan or future. And for major earthquakes that have like very high magnitude, like even magnitude above four, 
we are able to like uh, find the orientation of those faults pretty easily and automatically mm-hmm. through softwares. And right now what I'm doing is doing it for like small earthquakes. Small earthquakes are quite hard to find the fault orientation, mm-hmm. especially when the rupture doesn't touch the surface of the earth, so you cannot see it visually, and they are underground. So what I'm doing right now is to, yeah, be able to do it automatically for a small earthquake, which is a challenge right now. Uh, and how do you detect these tiny earthquakes? I assume they're below what you and I can feel, right? Yes. So to detect those, we have all around the globe um, a lot of seismic station. And to detect those, they need to be quite close to the station. So we just hope that they are close to a nearby station. And then we have ground shaking and our seismometer is going to record the ground shaking. And depending of how the waveform looks, so that's how we call the ground shaking like diagram that we have, mm-hmm. uh, we can tell if it's an earthquake or not. Oh, wow. <laughs> so you can differentiate between like uh, a train rolling by or an airplane landing versus a, an actual earthquake. Yes, because earthquakes have different like, let's say, pattern of emission of ground shaking. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, so it's, yeah, it's kind of difference of between an earthquake or an explosion, it will be very different and train and yes. <laughs> and how many earthquakes are you seeing around the world every single day? Oh, that that's a lot. That's a very good question. I don't have those number on top of my head. Or just but I think it's around a year. It's around ten million. Oh my goodness. Eh. Around a year, so it's a, <laughs> a lot. <laughs> I was going to make a joke earlier when you said something about how um, with theoretical physics, you don't see the uh, the impact of, of what you're studying. Uh, but with seismology, it seems like it's so minute and the, the movements are so gradual that you don't actually see it either. But it turns out if there are 10 million uh, earthquakes in a year, uh, you're seeing something. <laughs> yes, but those are very small ones that I said, 10 million. Because if you... Think about the major one that are like magnitude seven, for example, there are around 20 a year. That's still a lot. Yeah, that's still a lot. And those are usually, yeah, don't make people happy. <laughs> and living in an earthquake zone, that's a little overdue. That's a little uh, concerning. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we just need to be prepared, <laughs> which is hard. <laughs> now, I'm curious. Uh it seems like everyone in this faculty or in this department um, does tons and tons of field work. They're always out camping and, um, yeah, running into bears and whatever. Uh, do you do a lot of field work? Unfortunately, not. I haven't done any field work yet because all are of a seismic station that are all around the world, mm-hmm. most of them are directly connected like do some services and we have access to those si- so to those seismic results just online so i just have to go on my computer and google a few things and then i get to the web page and then get all my information i want but lucky me in uh, two days exactly 
Mm-hmm. I'm gonna leave offshore of uh, Tofino, so on Vancouver Island, to go experiment to d- the deployment of seismic station at the bottom of the ocean. So we're gonna do some testing to see how p- how well our instruments are performing before deploying them. Hopefully next year offshore Haida Gwaii, which is a big island north uh, offshore BC, a bit more north. That's really exciting. Yes, it is. Congratulations. Yes. Do you get seasick? I've never been in such a big boat, so we'll see. Hopefully not. <laughs> I in hope the past, not. never happened to me, but only on small boats. <laughs> we'll see. So you're actually deploying seismometers or seismographs? Uh, we say seismometer. Okay. Usually. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I'm not sure if they're different yeah. things or, um, yeah. Uh, but you're actually deploying them on the sea floor. Yes. That's really exciting. Is that common? Uh, it's not as common because those are usually uh, give us less information. They are they recording are more noisy mm-hmm. because it's way harder to put something at the bottom of the ocean than putting like in a forest or yeah. There is a lot of parameter to adjust. And yeah, so it's less common, but still very useful for some research because the the ocean is huge and mm-hmm. having some seismometer in the ocean, it kind of fill up some gap. And how deep is this going to be roughly? Yeah, that's a good question. I haven't checked into that much detail because I, <laughs> I'm more like a helper in this project. So I don't have all the information about it right now. But I, I know they have a maximum depth, those uh, size, yeah, bottom, we call them bottom ocean seismometer. And I think it's, yeah, I'm not too sure, but I know some goes, I think, one kilometer deep. Wow. You're plumbing a whole new world. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Did you ever imagine when you were a little child growing up in asbestos that you'd be measuring uh the movement of plate tectonics at the bottom of the ocean never (laughs) (laughs) that's really exciting yeah it is now aside from the obvious um predicting earthquakes uh, what are the real world implications of your work or how does your work uh predict earthquakes and things like that predicting earthquakes (laughs) or do you predict earthquakes yeah it's a (laughs) It's a thing that I think everyone wish we could do, but we can't do right now. There is, yeah, it's something that some people are trying to work on to find some information about the ground, how it could predict earthquake, but so far we have nothing (laughs) because it's very hard to predict. We have to predict the location of it and also the time. So we are quite good at seeing like, okay, this region has high risk of earthquakes compared to other region or like a time frame. But predicting earthquakes is impossible right now. You're kind of like a doctor who said, who tries to predict someone is at a higher risk of developing a certain disease or malady, but you can't say for certain that they're going to get it or when they're going to get it. Yeah, exactly. That's a very good way <laughs> to say it. Uh, so what is the uh, value of what you're doing to society? Yes. Yeah, so uh, 
what is good about small earthquake, which I'm studying, is that, as I said, there are a lot of them. And a lot of them mean a lot of information we can get from them. So my hope is to get kind of create this big data set of data where with a lot of small earthquake or a lot of small fault that I can identify, I could identify bigger fault. And with those bigger fault, we could put them in our seismic catalog to assess the risk. So it's going to help like the people who work in the government of Canada to know, oh, there is a potential fault here. We need to be more alert. Excellent. So essentially by um, looking at the less obvious uh, earthquakes, you can then identify the much more obvious ones. Yes. That's really cool. And that's a really unique approach, I think. Uh, Yeah. I don't know if it's very unique for seismology, but yeah, (laughs) it does work here. You're clearly really excited about your work and passionate about your work. Um, but what would you say is the best part of your job? Oh, the best part? Mm. Yeah, that's a very good question. I haven't thought about that. The best part about my work. I would say that there, it's because there is always something to learn. Like there is always new research always new technique and I really like learning so there is always thing to learn and also I like to be like see people talk to them and yeah we have a good group so I really like that sharing information I think yeah I always say we've got one of the best uh, group of grad students anywhere (laughs) (laughs) and it's so much fun to interact with them and learn from them Um, yeah yeah really (laughs) And especially, it seems like uh, a branch of seismology that you're working on right now seems um, fairly underdeveloped. So there's so much room for you to grow and expand in so many different directions that you can take your work in. Um, I can totally understand the appeal of being able to go wherever you want. Yes. Yeah, because seismology is kind of a, not a new field, but plate tectonics, when they got kind of (laughs) found, let's Mm -hmm. say. Or the concept was there. I think it was in the, I forgot, the late 60s. It's mm-hmm. kind of new field. There is still a lot to learn from it. I think it was Sir David Attenborough who says uh, that when he was in university, he asked one of his professors about plate tectonics. And his prof turned to him and said, we don't study that here. We study science. So it's a very, very young understanding of the world and something where uh, our grandparents probably weren't taught uh, such a fundamental part of the function of Earth. Yes, yes, it's very recent, but very important concept right now. Absolutely. Again, especially in a place like Vancouver. Yes. (laughs) Now, of course, not everything is sunshine and roses. Um, There are some downsides to every field. What's the worst or the most challenging part of your work? The most challenging part. So what I mainly do every day, it's like coding. So I write kind of an algorithm to deal with my data. And I think one of the most challenging part or what is the most effort is debugging, which I think a lot of computer scientists will tell you to. It's a lot of effort. And when you write your own algorithm, 
there is like many ways that it can go wrong. So mm. you have to find out the good way because it can be like from like your physical understanding of what is happening, but also it could be your coding approach that is not good. You're not doing mistake in your code. Or it could be also some numerical problem, which mm. come from more the computer side. And right now I'm facing the problem of numerical problem, <laughs> oh. which is, yeah, quite challenging because you have to rethink about a new approach. Yeah, I, I would imagine <laughs> that that would be one of the worst parts of, <laughs> of your work. <laughs> um, I would not be fond of that either. <laughs> I'm curious, uh, do you identify as belonging to any underrepresented communities? And if so, has that impacted your work in any way? So I think I, I'm not associated to any like underrepresented group, mm -hmm. except that I am a woman. Mm -hmm. But lucky me, I had never seen it affected in any way. I think everyone, yeah, accept me as I... <laughs> As I am. <laughs> Wonderful. Yeah. Uh, before the interview, you mentioned um, a bit of a, a language issue sometimes. Oh. Is that ever anything uh, challenging? Yeah, I think it's challenging for me because I'm not happy about my <laughs> English skill. But people are very friendly around and always like find a way to understand what I mean. So I'm very lucky for that. Still learning. <laughs> Take it as a bonus. Uh, everything <laughs> sounds better with a, a French accent. <laughs> Do you feel that seismology is a really open and welcoming community or is it more closed off and insular or a bit of both? I would think it's welcoming, but maybe it's just my the way I see it from like my group here. Mm -hmm. But when I go, for instance, to conferences, I would say that... Yeah, we have people with different backgrounds. You have like engineer, you have more like ocean data people. Yeah, you have people from very different background, but also uh, different ethnicity. Yeah, so what is good in conferences is that almost everyone has an accent. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a good thing for me. Uh, yeah, I think everyone is welcoming. I at least at my eyes, I, I'm very happy to see everyone because it's science. We want the science, not like how the person look or is. Absolutely. That's wonderful to hear. I'm always thrilled to hear that. <laughs> um, one thing we've all had to deal with, regardless of our, our accents or our gender or um, where we're from, is the pandemic. Uh, I'm curious. Has the pandemic affected your work? And if so, um, have you even been able to continue working through it? Yeah, so lucky me, I don't do any field work. And as I said, all my data are very accessible just from online. So for me, it wasn't a big issue. I was very lucky on that. I could just work from home on my computer. Unfortunately, it was kind of an adaptation for me to work from home because mm -hmm. I like the social vibe and yeah working at home is different <laughs> yes so it took me a few months to get used to that but then it was good when you say that your data is online uh, does that mean that anyone can access it or is it just through specialized portals that um, high-flying seismologists like yourself get yeah so it depends from 
like which kind of data you want. So I was using data from Alaska seismometer. Mm -hmm. So all the U.S. Se yeah, seismometer information are available online. So you can, yeah, everyone can have access to them. But I know from like China, for instance, it's very hard to have access to those data. Really? Yeah. Even they have some problem with like publication issue. Because when they want to publish some ar article or paper, they need to provide some of their data. But with some law and stuff, they cannot provide all the data. So their paper cannot be accepted sometimes. That's a barrier I wouldn't have imagined. But yeah. now that you say it, um, based on what I hear in the news, that makes sense, unfortunately. Yeah, um, it's kind of sad because, yeah, <laughs> doesn't mean their science is bad. but. Mm -hmm. Because we don't have the full data set, we cannot say if it's good or not. And I also meant to ask, who's laying down these uh, seismographs? Is it national governments or state governments <laughs> or private organizations? I would say often it's like, yeah, the government's going to help. So I think the government of Canada has a few. I'm not too like familiar with those. But I think, yeah, it's generally like the Geological Survey of Canada who's going to hone a few and then it's going to be funded by other governmental like funding. Uh, yeah, I don't know the full detail, but they are quite expensive. So it's usually not very private. It's like owned by big groups. <laughs> I, I can imagine. Now, if anyone's listening right now and is inspired to go into a field in seismology, um, what background or careers or even just personal experience would you recommend that they pursue in order to follow in your footsteps? Yeah, <laughs> that's a good question because I think er like you can go in seismology with different background. Because seismology, we can say it's geophysics. So you can go in the branch that it's going to be more geology or in the branch that's going to be physics. So I think in my opinion, I will recommend some, like at least a bit of physics background, even though you are more going to the geology side, mm -hmm. just to help you to understand uh, a bit more of all the concepts that are around it. Um, what else I will recommend? It's sure that nowadays... I think computer science skills are very useful, especially that now that we have more and more data, we need to be able to <laughs> manage those data. Great advice. <laughs> <laughs> All I can think of is Olivia Newton-John singing, let's get physical. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for yourself, what was the most important course that you took that uh, shifted you toward uh, a seismology? Yeah, I'm not too... Sure, because, yeah, I took many quantum courses as undergrad <laughs> <laughs> and then kind of made this abrupt change to geophysics. So there are no like directly linked courses, but I would say the courses that are the most useful to my research right now are probably the course that teach me how to uh, process data or like how to interpret data. Uh, yeah, like how to be able to manage them and interpret them. That makes sense. If you're processing data from um, 
hundreds or even thousands of seismographs from around the world, and you're processing thousands of micro-earthquakes uh, in a year, um, you can't do that all in your head or with a pen and paper. Uh, you're going to need some AI to help you out. Yes. <laughs> Now, I know that uh, any graduate degree, either a master's or even a PhD, uh, can be very grueling. Um, and it's not just one person earning that uh, degree. It takes a whole village. Um, so who's been inspiring to you and helping you along the way and keeping you going? Yeah. So I never really knew what I wanted to be <laughs> as a kid or even through my study. Good. So I just keep doing what I like. So I like mathematics when I was younger. So I continue and then I discover, oh, there is physics. Then I went in physics. <laughs> but I, I don't know if, yeah, there is not much like a specific person that I wanted to be or was inspired by. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> You mentioned you've got a, a nice, uh, solid team here at UBC, uh, which is helping um, each other get through their their graduate degrees, and I'm sure they're a blessing. Yeah, they're very great. Yeah, we're, I think we are very lucky here with the community of grad students. Absolutely, and you're part of that, and certainly a community leader. <laughs> um, you're at the beginning of your career. I now want you to look toward the end of your career. Uh, what would you like to have as your professional legacy when you eventually retire in 30 or 40 or even 50 years? Yeah. So I don't exactly know still what I want to be. That's fair. <laughs> even though that I should be thinking about graduating in a few years. But because what I'm hoping is that I will still be doing some science and some research. So what I hope that is that people, when they will look back to my research, they will be able to say, oh, this person did it well. Like, I can trust her data. Mm -hmm. Because sometimes you read some research and you're uncertain about it. So I would like people to know that they can trust my research. <laughs> That's a great goal. Um, I think a lot of people want to be big and flashy. Uh, you want to be reliable. And I think that's the epitome of good science. <laughs> I want to keep your perspective on the long term. Um, fields, the, the world is changing at a, an incredible rate, and so are professional fields. Uh, seismology, I'm sure, is no different. Um, the field that you enter today is going to be completely unrecognizable when you retire. So what changes do you see already coming to seismology? And what advice do you have for young people to get ahead of some of those changes and anticipate the curve? Yeah, I think one of the big challenges that it's coming is that we're going to have so many data. It's going to be hard to choose the data set that you want to study and, and also which tool you should apply to it. So I think one of the things to do would be to be able to get some experience in not different field, but to know a lot of different techniques. Not necessarily knowing the technique, like knowing all the detail, but knowing what they do so you can apply it. So just having a lot of little tools with you. What you're saying um, 
makes me think of broader media in this day and age. Uh, there's so much news out there that you really have to be able to choose your sources and be able to choose trustworthy ones. Um, and it sounds like that's coming to seismology as well. You're awash in so many options that it's almost a curse. <laughs> yes. And also there are more and more publication available. So, <laughs> and yeah, it's kind of hard now to almost choose how much time you want to spend on just reading those papers. Well, I'm sure that as a trusted and respected scientist, you're going to be one of those people that people uh, don't really have to think about um, <laughs> uh, choosing from because they just know that what you have to say is worth hearing <laughs> and is valid. Hopefully. <laughs> well, Dorian, those are all the questions I have for you for today. Is there anything I missed or anything you want to add before I let you go? No, I think that's all good. Thank you. <laughs> um, Merci pour votre temps, pour tes histoires et votre passion. Et um, restez ici avec moi. Oh, merci beaucoup. <laughs> Au revoir. Thank you for listening to On Earth. On Earth is hosted by me and produced by myself, Kirsten Hodge, our editor, Sarah Robertson, and Ollie Beatty designed our logo. On Earth is made possible thanks to the generous support of the Department of Earth, Ocean, and Atmospheric Sciences here at the University of British Columbia. For more episodes like this one, please visit our website at pme.ubc.ca slash learn slash podcast or listen in on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you find your podcasts. And see you next week here on Earth.